Light and darkness don't battle with each other. You flip the light on and darkness is gone, right? So darkness actually only exists in the vacuum of the absence of light. We're the light. We're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. If the people of God were to be full of faith in their heart, the very last thing we should do is run from evil, but run to the battle. I think some of us are worried that the light will get dirty if we get too close. Don't leave the world to the flies. Where's our faith at right now? Good morning. I brought back up. It's a hard message. We were short on security. I brought a team. No, they're actually, they're going to sing a song. No, I'm kidding all right, so we're going to do a little illustration today, all right? And they're going to do it. Have you remember the old game, gossip game or telephone game? Anybody ever played that? Well, I've given uh, Seth a statement. He's going to read it. They're going to pass it all the way down. And then Ethan's going to come and tell me what statement he heard, all right? And it's really a part of what we're doing today. So I'm going to tell them to go. They can start. And while they're doing that, I want to share a couple things that are on my heart. How many of you have not been to Discovery because Sundays, for whatever reason, haven't worked for you. Anybody? Our discovery track in October and November, we're moving to Saturday night. So I know some people uh, have not been able to, maybe the football, maybe uh, work, whatever, uh, and, and other activities. So on Sunday, Saturday night, starting in October, November, if you've not been a part of the discovery track, we invite you to be a part of that. Uh, Seth mentioned this, but this is near and dear to my heart, Okay. It isn't about groups, it's about relationships. But groups are the vehicle that relationships are built. And people say, well, I don't need any more relationships. Well, that's kind of prideful. I should talk to your friends about that. But anyway, uh, all I want you to do is if you're interested, fill this out or take it home and go to the website, see what groups are available, all right? And we're really committed to this. We want you to be a part of this. Uh, I've been part of several groups and they have changed my life literally in more ways than one. So I want you to know uh, this is a very important part of what we do, so. Okay, Ethan, come on up, all right? Could you tell us what statement you heard? The perpendicular angles are wider than the other angles. Okay, so let me read to you where we started. Interesting, the perpendicular purple pin is often mightier than the swishing silver sword. Thank you, buddy. Had it. We were Thank close. you. Close, yeah. Yeah, perpendicular is about as far as it got. Can we give those guys a hand? Thank you for helping me today. I think I'd get hung up on perpendicular too, so anyway. So uh, that's an illustration. We're going to uh, tie that into what we're talking about today. We're in the last week of this series, Salt. I've loved it. It's really been important and valuable to us as a church, to us as believers. And it's important today. And I'm going to tell you, I struggle today. I'm going to share a little of a hard process journey that's been taking place in my life uh, as a part of this message. So uh, the scripture we have, the focus is you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city on a hill. Jesus tells us in scripture, and we understand this through passages like I've just read, that those that wish to follow him, they must make a difference in this world. It isn't just getting God and I'm good to go. It is about everybody getting God and being good to go. Now in this game, okay, that we just played, we saw that it was difficult to keep a statement in its original form, all right? 
You have to be very clear and intentional in passing that word to the next person. Now, last night we did this. Uh, they did a very good job. They actually uh, stayed real close to the original statement, all right? And uh, Todd uh, Story, one of our uh, pastors for business pastor, he was in the front row making faces, trying to distract them. And one of the guys said he wanted to change the statement to Todd Story wears pajamas that have cats who wear cowboy hats on them. And, uh, but he stayed true and they worked it out. But do you understand what I'm saying? That how important it is for that message to be clearly and intentionally passed on. Or we can get something very muddy. If you just get that today, you're on your way to really understanding what we're about. Okay. Uh, I looked up uh, salt. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not... We got a lot smarter pastors and a lot more brilliant theologians than me. So I went to uh, the dictionary and looked up salt. And there were primarily two functions of salt. And I want to talk about those today. The first was to preserve. One of the issues of salt is it preserves. And that definition is simply keep or maintain something in its original state. Now I was curious about why salt served as a preservative. And I found out that the salt inhibits the moisture which creates bacteria and mold. So in applying salt to a meat or something, it doesn't allow the moisture to build in order for the bacteria or mold to build. So what we do and what we're a part of as a church is keeping in original the state of the gospel. We preserve the gospel. We pass the gospel on. You've heard Pastor John's vision is that to help people discover and recover the promises of God. We want you to know and to experience those promises. And the vehicle that we have available to us is every weekend gathered here as a group of people. I want to share with you just a thought from a pastor, an apostle speaking to a young pastor. It's in 2 Timothy. You have them on your notes. You can follow along if you'd like. This apostle Paul writes to a young pastor and he says this. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, that's important, the Spirit of God that lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. It continues to write in the letter, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. This is the idea of salt. This is the idea of preserving the gospel. And so when we gather on a weekend, all right, it is our mission, it is our hope, it is our focus that we are going to be people who take that gospel. Jesus took a group of people, we call them disciples, but they were just his followers, and he was clear to them. His message to them, the clear message started with uh, the great command, which is to love the Lord and then to love each other. But then he finished before he left this earth with a mission that we should have. And he says in essence that you need to be a disciple. You need to teach others about this message. And he says, you need to make disciples. I will tell you all of my experience in the years that I've been a part of church, even as a pastor, is that we, we kind of move forward on that being a disciple. Most of you, how many of you are trying to be a good disciple? Raise your hand. Okay, we try that and we try to learn and we try to grow and we try to mature in our faith. And for years, I worked at that. And all of a sudden, the last few years in the role that I have here, 
began to really take serious the word of God and understood that it's not only being a disciple that matters, it's making disciples. It is that process of taking that truth, taking that gospel and keeping it in its original form and moving it on. Now, let me just take a little sidetrack here. I've been in church since I was three years old. So about 30 years ago, no, I'm not, I'm <laughs> double that. Uh, all right, so, and I'm telling you, I had a good church growing up and I've been part of great churches, but every church has these little things that happen to kind of muddy the gospel. We get so excited about these minor things and we miss the gospel. The gospel is about the good news. The gospel is about Jesus coming, giving his life by the power of God being resurrected, which sets him apart from any other teacher, any other religious figure in history in order that you could experience life eternal. That's the essence of the gospel. That's very important that we maintain that. So often we get off into these crazy stuff that... Okay, it's important to people, but it's not important to God. Do you agree with that? Do you understand that? You ever experience a change in your thought? You ever grow up with a certain way of thinking about God, but somewhere along the line you said, hey, that really isn't a big deal. All right, hopefully you've had that happen because that's about growing, all right? So if we're to become like Jesus, our teacher, our leader, we are one who becomes like him and we are one who makes others like him. So we pass that gospel, we work at doing that every weekend, uh, at, at JFC. Now, I want you to know, not only as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus, we should take serious every weekend. It isn't just some church thing. It isn't a box you check for the weekend. It isn't, oh, make sure the kids get some religious training. It is important. It is important that you understand us gathering together as a group of believers in scripture is a valued and encouraged thing because God wants to do stuff here that he can't do in other areas. So you have a part, and I put this in your notes. The first is to participate, all right? Anybody here a Bronco fan? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm ashamed. Just watch. Any Packer fans? Yes. Okay. Two Packer fans were louder than all the Bronco fans. All right. I'm disappointed. So... In the game this week, exciting game, wonderful, fun game to watch. All right, we won, yay. Uh, now, now, now you come out. Golly, get some coffee to these people, okay. So at the game, there were some pretty excited fans. I talked to somebody that went to the game, they said it was crazy, it was amazing. It was like the Super Bowl all over again, which obviously interesting enough, playing the same team and all the hype. But... Most of those in that stadium were just fans. It is the players, the coaches that participated in the game. They were the ones doing all the work of the football team. We are not spectators or just fans. We are participants. Now, I know it looks like we've set it up for you to be or, uh, spectators. Like all these seats are out here, you're looking one way. All right, we have a worship team. We don't watch them. They don't entertain us. They lead us in worship, all right? Uh, I was joking with JJ last night and he gave me some grief and we have a good relationship there. I said, sometimes I don't like the song they sing. <laughs> I don't know it. It's a new song. It doesn't ring the bell. I like 
I like, a, I like a good old hymn now and then. That's kind of my heritage, you know. I can relate to that. But you know what? It isn't about me. It isn't about me just listening and learning a song that's new or maybe that I don't even like because it's about God. And as we participate, the joy and the presence and the enthusiasm that happens when we join in, all right, and engage in worship to God is amazing. We come together and participate, all right? There's a lot of other ways. The second thing is you can serve. I don't know where they are. There are a couple. I won't point them out, but they were so cute today. Uh, I was in my car just going over my notes, and I saw this car pull up, and this couple gets out, and he starts walking to the door, and she starts walking over to work with the parking team. And they get about halfway, and then all of a sudden, they turn toward each other and walk toward each other and kiss, and then they go back to their things. They're going to be giving marriage counseling to anybody. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But you know what? Here's where that touched my heart. I walked in, okay, I was here early, and I watched in our parking lot and then coming in so many people that were at work serving with joy, with gladness that they had gifts and abilities that they could give to one another, all right? And it isn't just serving here, but a weekend is a big part of what we do, all right? Now, let me just share something, okay? You're not just a server who stands at a door and gives out, the notes, all right, we don't just have a handful of people there that are greeters. All of us are greeters. Now, those that know me well, and some of you might be new, and I'm the guy at the doors, I love greeting everybody because I love greeting everybody. Amen. I love meeting people. I love talking to you. I love hearing and meeting the guy today from Iowa somewhere here, okay, all right? And uh, I, uh, talking uh, just about life, I love doing that. And so I know we have a greet time, and it's, it's fun, it's quick, but throughout this whole day, you can be filled with this spirit of hospitality and let everyone know. And here's why. When people come, new people, people who don't know Christ, they know that pastors will greet, they know that a greeting team will greet, but what they don't know is if they're ambushed in love with people just so happy that they're here. So what I'm saying is that you don't have to have an official position to serve. You can serve. And the last is that you can invite, all right? We really want JFC to be a place that you can invite your friends and not worry about it being crazy, weird, or unusual. So we really work hard at being real to the world that we live in. We have musicians who are very talented, singers who are very talented. We have a great media team. We have a group of people who serve that you don't even see behind the, you know, what was the Oz thing behind the curtain? What was the statement? Don't look behind the curtain. Am I right there? Yeah, don't pay, yeah, that's it. Don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. Well, we got a lot of men and women, and teenagers behind the curtain, and they make all this stuff happen, all right? Uh, and, and it's that you could feel comfortable bringing someone to this place to hear the message the gospel passed on, to hear it preserved as best we can. So that's all stuff you know. You're sitting here thinking, all right, I get that. I've been in church a while. So now let me move into the part that's very important process and struggle for me because I'm a church kid. I was called into ministry at 15. I started working as a pastor in a, a volunteer role at the age of 18. I was involved in full-time ministry at the age of 21. So I've been a pastor for 40 years. That's all I know. 
So I'm good at this weekend. I get this weekend stuff. I can challenge you to participate, serve, and invite. I can do that all day long. The problem is that's all I do is the weekend. And about a year ago, just began to really be convicted in my heart. And I want to share a little of that journey today. And that serves the second part of our message. So when I say this, I don't want you to receive it as somebody who knows it all, who understands it all. I want you to receive it as somebody who's learning it. But there's something here that I want you to start asking God, seeking God, understanding in your own life. Some of you are way ahead of me in this, and I applaud you for that. So the second function of salt is this, all right? It is to enhance, all right? And the uh, definition is to intensify, increase the quality, value, or extent of. Listen to that. Intensify, increase the quality, value, or extent of, all right? Now, uh, some of you were maybe were raised in a region or an area or a country that served, uh, just as its standard fare, a blander food, all right? And so uh, people like me who come visit you and you serve what's standard to you, I'm looking for the salt shaker. I'm looking for the hot sauce, Okay, anybody here like hot sauce? All right, gotta have hot sauce. Gotta have hot sauce on everything, everything. I remember I went to a retreat one time and, and one of our uh, awesome guys in our church there, uh, he brought a Tupperware full of salsa. And it was, I'm telling you, I thought it'd melt the Tupperware. It was so hot. And uh, he put it on pancakes, the first time I've ever seen that, okay? And I'm not kidding you, he did. He, he, now he took it to a new level, but anyway. We are to be able to be a people that aren't bland, but to have a flavor, an enhancement, an intensity of the gospel. And that happens in your everyday life. Let me read you this out of Matthew. It's in your notes. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. I think we have to be careful as the church. I think we have to be careful as God's messengers that we don't mess up the message. I don't think that what God offers our world today is unimportant. It is intensified through your daily work and life wherever you live and everything outside of the weekend. And I wanna just talk about that for a while. All right, the weekend services, we preserve the message. We pass it on that way. But the opportunities we have throughout the week, we can enhance and increase the value of the gospel in the lives in all of those circles that we run in. So let me tell you why that's so important, okay? I know that there's a real battle. I struggle with this, probably many of you. Our nation has changed in its cultural perspective of God. Can I tell you, I wish it could go back, but it won't. It won't. I know, I understand, I get it, I wrestle with the same things you're thinking right now, but it won't. But it's not bad for the gospel, all right? Historically, the gospel flourishes the further the nation was from God because it wasn't about religion that our nation could be really dependent on. It's about the power and the spirit and the gospel of God. You see what I'm saying? So I struggle with this because I like the America that I was raised in. 
I liked that everybody, most everybody on the weekend was aware of church. Most everybody was aware of the Bible, okay? We don't have that. We don't even have in our churches people that know the Bible, all right? I meet people all the time in foundations and some of the things that we teach that don't even know the Bible. Okay, I understand that. But that's us. We're here. We're here, the believers. The world we live in, the culture we live in, they don't have the same perspective of God that you do. It's different, all right? So statistics, and this isn't just coming out, you know, hey, this sounds good. Pew Research and others that do this kind of research have stated that the vast majority of people in America do not and will not go to church. I heard a statistics of 70% of Americans will not go to a church. That's a lot of people. So let me ask you, is it important that those people hear the gospel? So where are they going to hear it if they're not going to come to the weekend? They're going to hear it through you. And for some of you, that scares you, and you don't know what to do with that. And I get that, because I've been there. If they don't plan to attend a church, now, can I explain something to you? Let me, let me put you in their mindset, okay? Let me explain something to you in mindset, all right? And again, it's not of a religious thing. It's not a criticism, but here's the truth. If you here today got in your mail a flyer inviting you to a mosque, most of you would just, oh, I'm not interested, Okay? Now, I want you to see that from the perspective of people who get a flyer inviting them to a church. I had a guy come to my door this week, two of them. (laughs) I told him, get off my lawn. You get out of here right now. No. He wanted to give me a magazine. He wanted to tell me about his religion. And you know what? I wasn't interested. And I was polite. No, thank you. I'm good to go in that area. And he went to the next door house. Now, I tell you those two things because I'm not interested. The people that you in the week experience have that same mindset. They're just not interested. You got to know that. We think because the gospel, an American Christian nation, everybody's just waiting for you to invite them to church and they're going to come. Some do. As a matter of fact, uh, more than flyers or anything else, if they get a personal invite, they'll come because they have a relationship with you. And that's where I want to go with this. The idea of what happens, how do we? As a matter of fact, in classifications now, you know, have you ever filled out a report or a government survey and they ask what your uh, religious beliefs are? Okay, used to be pretty the main ones, you know, uh, Protestant, Catholic, you'd go down the list. They have a classification now that's very popular. All right, especially among millennials, it's called none. We have a lot of nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. Okay, we have a ton of nuns. All right, it just sounds funny every time I say that. I've got a bunch of nuns. Here's what they say if you talk to millennials today I don't know about God, I don't care about God, I don't need God. I've lost interest in any religious belief, any. Okay, as a matter of fact, one of the growing trends in millennials is a belief in atheism. Now, there's a lot of things that I can underscore there that just shows that they truly don't believe that, but that's another message. They said that in our culture today, in many people, because they don't have, they don't have that foundation that we know and understand as church people, 
that you can talk about guilt, but it doesn't make sense. You can talk about sin. You can talk about uh, faith and salvation, and none of those will matter because of where they're coming from in their mindset. You can think that people understand what we're talking about, but they don't. So we have to be very important, as in that game, that the message that is going from one person to the next, that it's very simple and clear. But the greatest message is not just the message, it's the messenger. This is why you being a disciple and living that life is important. That's what they're going to see before what they hear. I remember a day growing up, uh, I don't know if you guys, do you remember, anybody here remember the era of chick tracks? Anybody remember those? Nobody? Nobody. Oh my goodness. So let me tell you what Chick Tracks, the guy's name was John Chick. He was really extreme legalism. And he made these little comic books. And they were really harsh. You know, I mean, the opening page, you know, the cover, you are going to hell now, you know. And so people, well, what's this all about? And I'm telling you, he would just, it was rough. And so there was an era when Christians would use those as tracks. And they would hand them out. Okay, I do remember clearly traveling to Texas one time, stopping at a gas station, going to the restroom, and there were chick tracks on the seat. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, that's, you know what, that's drive-by salt, <laughs> you know? And I, I heard a lot of criticism that Christians would go out to eat, and instead of leaving a tip, they'd leave something telling people they're going to hell. Now, here's the sad part. Those people thought they were doing that waiter a favor. They weren't. They were turning them off to God. Now, the fact is, please understand, I want you to know there is truth. People without God will go to hell. But the message that we would do and the method of that message was very destructive. Matter of fact, I was, I was doing something this week, and uh, there was an old-fashioned gospel preacher on television. I won't give you his name. Some of you may know him. And I was actually working on some stuff, and I, just in the background... All I heard was how much we as Christians hate everybody. We hate liberal media. We hate the, you know, politicians. Uh, we hate the educators. We hate, we hated everybody. And it just struck me how sad that there was a time in my life that that guy was really one of my favorite preachers. And it's even sadder that I bought into that and felt like we're just this persecuted mass and all these others, we just need to hate them because they're the devil. They're not. They're not. So what do we do with that? How do we become an effective salt shaker? I'll give you three things. Number one, mindset. Okay, my preferences of God and church can get in the way of the message. My faulty beliefs, like at one time, can really hinder that. All right, I like church world. I'm comfortable. I like my religious de disposition. But this last year, the Lord's just kind of said, hey, wait a minute. Your church world, your comfort zone isn't as important to me as people who today don't know about me. And I began to really look at that. Your mindset is so important to being effective, to be a salt in this world. If you hate everybody, if you see everybody at the enemy, then you're seeing it wrong. 
And I'm sorry to say that. And I'm not trying to get angry or get you angry or political. I'm just saying you have to be very careful. All right? If you know someone who's misled, you don't hate that person. You don't hate that person. You want to help them to understand truth. All right? The second thing is a spirit-filled, spirit-led life. Here's the reality. If you're just a church person and you're not spending time and growing in the spirit of the Lord in your life, you'll just be a religious person. It's easy to do that. Religion is just a set of beliefs. But here's what God wanted. He wanted you to have a relationship that was a lifestyle. Somebody asked me the other day after the message last night, all right, is there a covert or overt way to be the salt? And the answer was, you can be led by God to know how to approach and how to address people. But if you don't walk in that spiritual connection with God, you're just going to be doing some ritual or doing something, and it doesn't work. And the last is, and this is really the hard one, you just don't really love people. You just don't really love. There's nothing I can say about that. Here's the truth. When you love, it changes you. And if you don't care, you will not be salt. You just won't. I have, I've, I've lived in my house nine years. Love Parker, got great neighbors, uh, new family moved in, two houses down about a year ago. My neighbor, uh, Green Bay fan, where you guys, Green Bay, from Wisconsin, big Green Bay fan. Um, great family. All right, I'm so busy being at church and doing church meetings that I've never built any kind of relationship with them. So, again, about a year ago, God began to just put on my heart. And so the new neighbor down, Brenda's really good. She put together some cookies. And here's the truth. This was so interesting. Welcome to the neighborhood. Here's some cookies. Hey, we're two houses down. And uh, thank you. Shut the door. I'm like, ooh. Maybe he's gluten Thing. I don't know. <laughs> and so a uh, couple weeks later, my grandkids were over and went to a park over by our house, and he was there with his little son. And uh, I introduced myself again, and we started talking. He, he's very, he's involved in the construction business. Uh, I love remodeling things. So we had a conversation there, and all of a sudden, for about 45 minutes, we're talking. And that just opened up a door. I wasn't just a neighbor bringing cookies. I was a guy that could rate, relate, and understand. All right? And so over the time, we've been able to start building a relationship. So he'll come over to the house. We'll stop by there. And uh, honestly, I know, listen, please, this is what God put on my heart. I drove by. Their garages are open. I stole, no. Their garages are open. I'm just kidding. Both of them had golf clubs. I, I'm not a good golfer, but I like golf. I thought, probably knowing golfers, the best way to spend about four and a half, five hours with a couple of guys is taking them golf. So I approached him and said, guys, I'd love to take you golfing just to get to know you. You, you. you in for that? Man, they've just lit up. That sounds awesome. We'd love to do that. So we set up a golf thing. Okay, we haven't gone yet, but we just set it up. Okay? I'm so looking forward to that. Can I tell you what happened? The cookie guy. He said to me, hey, I'm in a league on Tuesday nights. Doug's here. He runs our league. Doug, I got an issue. I got a problem now. He says, I'd like you to come play in our league with a bunch of my friends. 
And I like our church league. I get to meet a lot of great church people. And now I'm stuck with, because they're both on Tuesday nights. Okay, am I going to be salt? Where? So I'm actually praying about that. I want to be, I love, it, I, I love our church league. I love hanging out. I love doing that. But man, if God opened up a door for me to golf with a bunch of people that don't know Christ, man, I don't know. I'm trying to think that through. So, all right, what does this look like? If you're stuck here with a mindset and you don't love and it's really a difficult thing for you, like it has been for me, let me just share this with you. Jesus had a different approach. There's a great story in scripture. Let me just read you this story. Many of you are familiar with it, but I want to just highlight a couple things. In Luke chapter 19, it's about a guy named Zacchaeus. Many of you know him. When Jesus came by, he's in Jericho. Jericho was a very hot happening town then. He looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Man, you better hope your house is clean. That's all I'm telling you. If Jesus says, hey, I'm coming to your house today, like, oh man, did I clean up the dishes. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. And these were Pharisees and religious people. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Anybody here know any notorious sinners? I know a few. A couple of them here today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, listen to this. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Let's settle it right there. Wasn't about him being a sinner. Wasn't about his reputation. It wasn't about what people thought. It was about the singular mission to seek, to seek, and to save the lost. That's his mindset. He came in the power of the Holy Spirit. He spent time with the Father every day. Kate last week did a message on prayer in connection with God. If you didn't get to hear it, go get the podcast. And then the fact of his love was evident. Isn't it amazing that Zacchaeus wanted Jesus to come to his house? C come on, can I tell you, in our world today, a lot of these notorious sinners don't want any Christians coming to their house. It shouldn't be that way. It should be different. It can be different. In the presence of Jesus, Zacchaeus' life was turned around. Let me read you this, and I'll close with this couple thoughts. In Psalm, we were talking about this at the teaching team. The struggle that I have had is the truth of God still is important. You don't just throw that away. You don't just say, that's not important. Just, you know. So in Psalms, here's an interesting idea. Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. So as a teaching team, we thought about this. Truth without grace is condemning. Grace without truth is compromise. But truth with grace is compelling. How amazing that is. Jesus came in a perfect blend 
of truth and grace. He didn't compromise. You saw in other situations that he dealt exclusively with truth, with a rich young ruler, and exclusively with grace with an adulterous woman. We want a blanket rule that we treat everybody the same, but Jesus didn't do that. He knew when grace was necessary. He knew when truth was necessary. So let me give you this. How can we build bridges to our world today? How can we extend in an exciting way the gospel? Peter writes this in 1 Peter 3. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Folks, you got to start there. You have to know that you're doing this not because it's a religious thing, and there's a lot of religions today that people are fervent about. Fervent so much that they kill other people. This is what makes you different, is that it is the lordship of Christ that you understand his mission, his purpose, his plan. So, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. And then he writes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously, okay, we know that will happen. Those that speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So in this process, I'm reevaluating how does that happen, okay? So the Lord's given me some specific areas of circles that I meet people who are not churched. All right, my neighbors, the Lord's given me a path there. I was talking earlier, I love doing weddings. I just love the couples that I get to meet. And most of those are coming to our church and a part of our church. But the amazing thing is when we're involved and we do the counseling, we do the receptions and the rehearsals, I get to meet all their wedding party. And many of those, many of those have no idea who God is. And it's funny to say, oh, don't put me at the table with the preacher, you know. And then once we sit down and we start talking about life and enjoying it, all of a sudden they're open and their hearts are open. And literally God leads me in ways to talk about life in the gospel. That's my journey. That's my process. All right. There are other ways. My wife, Brenda, many of you have asked. She's still battling cancer. Um, she started a brand new uh, trial on a clinical trial of a new uh, drug uh, it has not done well, but the cancer's dropping, all that's good. But here's what I want you to know about that. Thank you for your prayers. But whenever she goes in, she's purposed in her heart to be salt and to be light. And she's brought joy to the chemo treatment center, to the doctor's center, and everywhere she goes, she's feeling horrible. I, she's way better than I am. Like if I'm sick, I'm a big baby. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to do anything. But she comes up with just, they need to know about God. It's quite amazing. Pastor Marcus here had a neighbor who lost his father. And the guy, again, remember, this is a non-church culture. Knew Marcus was a pastor. Came over to his house. They have friends. They, they do things. And he said, Marcus, my dad just died. And I don't know what to do about a funeral or anything. And Marcus walked him through that with his area of expertise. And then Amy kicked into high gear. And you, if you all know Amy, she's high gear. Started flowers and, and, and taking care of all the practical things, dogs, plants, and they had to fly back and all that. Said, hey, we're there for you. That's the gospel. 
Pastor John said a few weeks ago, people will know by our good deeds. But here's, here it is, here it is, here it is. Do you even want to? Do you ever want to be salt? Do you want to enhance that? Well, that's the struggle that I had, and I'm just so excited about being a part of that. I challenge you, start that journey. If you're not doing it, start that journey. Could we pray? Lord, today, I thank you so much for everybody's kindness and patience for this message. I pray, Lord, that it isn't about just my perspective or my words, but that the gospel, the truth that they've heard today, that your Holy Spirit would take it to their heart and that they'd be able to respond to that. Lord, let us be salt every day in every area of our life outside of our weekend, including our weekend. We pray that today in your name. Amen.